Welcome to the Business, Wealth and Mindset Podcast. Your space for real motivational interviews and cutting-edge business content to inspire your positive mental attitude. And now, your host, Alex Sopala. It's uh, it's good to, uh, to have you on the show. Thank you very much for uh, coming on to uh, grace us with your presence for our 100th episode series on the Business, Wealth and Mindset podcast. So it's uh, such a pleasure to have you to have you on. I've, uh, I follow quite a lot of your work, actually. And uh, uh, first time we met was in Dublin uh, la- last year. You're in Dublin and you, you gave a talk there. I've got... Uh, Quite a few pictures with you, but you meet quite a lot of people anyway. <laughs> you survive me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. It was absolutely awesome event. You know, it's such a pleasure always to hear you talk. So I thought uh, it would be great to uh, to have you on to uh, just uh, discuss a number of things, and uh, you know, quite a few of our our listeners will be pleased to uh, you know to be. Uh, you know, to get to, uh, uh, you know, speak to you and uh, understand some of your wisdom as well. So, uh, yeah. So uh, I, I thought, first of all, probably if uh, if okay with you, just to give us a little bit of uh, background about yourself, actually. So your journey from the beginning up to, you know, when you started to get into studying uh, uh, human behavior and, and all of that, because your, your background is quite inspiring in itself. So if you just uh, take us briefly through your, your journey and uh, how you get, uh, you got to studying human behavior as well. Yeah. So I should start with the Big Bang Theory? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I was born with a bit of challenge. I had a, a foot and arm turned in and a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. had to go to a speech pathologist and a foot and arm specialist. Mm-hmm. When I got into first grade, I was told that I, by my first grade teacher, I would never be able to read or write, never be able to communicate effectively, probably not mount to anything, go very far in life. I made it through elementary school by asking smart kids questions because if I heard stuff, I retained enough information from hearing it uh, to some degree, but I just couldn't write very well and couldn't speak very well and I didn't know how to read. And so my vocabulary was limited. I left school at a young teenage stage and became a street kid. And because when my parents moved from Houston, Texas to Richmond, Texas, there weren't a lot of smart kids and I just started failing. And I was more interested in sports because I, when I got out of my braces as a child, all I wanted to do was run. And I got pretty good in my arms and legs once I got out of my braces. I made it an effort to really use them and strengthen them. And I picked up surfing uh, when I was nine and surf, Texas wasn't the surf capital of the world. So I, At 14, I hitchhiked to California and down into Mexico. At 15, I went on to Hawaii, and I set out to be a big wave rider on the north shore of Oahu. So I lived at Iikai Beach Park where Pipeline is, and I surfed Waimea Bay, Sunset Beach, those places, Hmm. and uh, did pretty good there. Got into some surf movies and things, and I, I, um, but then I nearly died at age 17, and was unconscious for three, almost three and a half days. And luckily a lady found me in my tent where I was unconscious and helped me get recovered. 
and led me to a health food store, which led me to a talk. And a gentleman named Paul Bragg did a presentation one night in an hour that really got to me. And that night was the first time in my life I thought maybe I could overcome my learning problems and learn how to speak properly and, and read. And I had a desire to do it because I didn't like, I was had to wear a dunce cap when I was in first grade. I didn't like being called stupid, you know. So I had a dream that night to overcome my learning problems and be a speaker and teach of all things, mm -hmm. overcome it so I could learn to speak properly and learn and be intelligent. Yeah. And uh, that night I got a vision of what I wanted to do. And then with the next three weeks with this man uh, helping me, I got a catalyst to move forward on that. I ended up flying back to California, hitchhiking back to Texas, taking a GED test, which is a high school equivalency test because I never finished high school. Hmm. And lo and behold, I guessed and passed. <laughs> it, was a, it was a miracle. Yeah. And, um, then I ended up trying to go on to college, but I failed. And um, it was just a fluke that I passed that test. And I almost gave up when I realized I got a 27. Everybody else gets 75 or above. I had a 27. Hmm. Wow. And it was so embarrassing that I really was crying. I went home and I cried on the living room floor. And I just was in a real dark moment where I just didn't know which. I didn't know whether to go forward, to go back surfing. I just my dream about being a teacher and being intelligent was shattered. And my mom said to me that night something that really made a difference to me. She said, son, whether you become a great teacher and philosopher and travel the world like you dream, whether you go back and ride giant waves like you've done, or whether you return to the streets and panhandle as a bum on the streets, which you've also done. I just mm -hmm. want to let you know that your father and I are going to love you no matter what you do, what you decide. And that was the most amazing thing to have happen. Because in that moment, my hand automatically went into a fist of determination. And I said to myself, I'm going to mass this thing called reading and studying and learning. I'm going to mass this thing called teaching, healing, and philosophy. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel whatever distance. I'm going to pay whatever price to give my service of love. I'm not going to let any human being on the face of the earth stop me, not even myself. And I got up and I hugged my mom and I went in my room and I got a dictionary out and I made a commitment to memorizing 30 words a day in that dictionary until that dictionary was mine. And I worked on that with the help of my mom. And we grew my vocabulary 30 words a day until my vocabulary was strong enough to be able to read some things and eventually pass and eventually excel. And from that day on, I never stopped reading. And I started reading every hour I had available. I'd read 20 hours a day many times just to try to catch up with everybody else and to excel. And slowly but surely, people started coming up to me and asking me questions, surprisingly. And I started my teaching career. And that led on to when I got to the University of Houston, having 100, 150 people under the trees every day asking questions, which then led to classes seven days a week in professional school that I taught. And um, I just read and taught and read and taught. And here I am 48 years later reading and teaching. And wow. I, and I, in anything that maximizes human awareness potential and evolves human consciousness and helps people do extraordinary things and live an amazing, inspired life, I'm interested in. Mm. So that that's broad. But I, I, I today I research, write, travel, teach, and I do that seven days a week. Yeah.
Brilliant. That's uh, quite an amazing story, John. Thank you. Uh, so just uh, probably to pick up from uh, the, uh, the sort of uh, self-development and personal development side of things, I wanted to, if you could uh, just explore with us, um, you know, or sort of advise how one can um, master one's life in, in, in the sense of uh, how can we find our purpose or, or, or our vision on earth? Or as a broader question, what is the purpose of us or each individual being? What are we here for? And how can we determine that? Okay. A big question. <laughs> Many philosophers have debated for centuries whether there's an inherent teleological purpose in the universe. Going back to Aristotle, he believed that an acorn was destined to become an, uh, an oak tree. And he believed in telos, a teleological final cause or final ending that we were all striving for innately in it. Others saw a flaw in that model and didn't see it. Albert Chemist said that, uh, you know, there's no inherent purpose in the universe, but individuals can derive one. Hmm. And uh, so I was interested in what that is from a universal and a particular pr perspective. And what I found is that, that every human being lives by a set of priorities, a set of values, hmm. things that are most to least important in their life. And that set of values, that hierarchy of values is unique, like a fingerprint. No two people have exactly the same set of values. Mm. And whatever's highest on that individual's values, they are spontaneously inspired to fulfill. It's an intrinsic value that they feel called to accomplish. And whatever that is, and it's not necessarily finite, it can evolve over time by experience. But whatever that is at any one moment, that's what we're committed to. And that's the most fulfilling and meaningful and inspiring, purposeful thing we can do. And our purpose at any moment is an expression of what our highest value is. Yeah. Mine is teaching. My purpose is teaching. I've been doing it 48 years plus. But whatever that is, and there is no right or wrong value system. Everybody has a unique mm -hmm. set of values, and they tend to project their values into others, think that, oh, people should be like my values. Yeah. But everybody, everybody's needed in the equation. Everybody's needed in the society. There's some people needed to be dedicated to raising families, some to business, some to finance, some to intellectual pursuits, some to social causes, some mm -hmm. to inspirational spiritual missions, some, some to have, uh, you know, financial wealth. Everybody's needed. And everybody, based on their voids and their experiences and what they think they want to fulfill in their life, is honorable. And people don't get that. They want to make it, well, here's a, a universal morality or a universal value system, but it's never been found kind of scientifically. It's just believed by somebody who's automatically, arbitrarily picking it. But giving yourself permission to prioritize your life according to what's truly, deeply meaningful that you spontaneously are inspired from within intrinsically to go and take action on on a daily basis and structure it in a prioritized way where it serves other people so you can be compensated and remunerated doing something you love to do that makes a difference and solve problems in the world. is one of the most fulfilling paths I've observed in people who excel, that do great achievements. So finding out what that, what you could call the metier, the calling that the theologians are called, the thing that they feel that their soul's calling is the thing that is most authentic to them. Whatever's highest on an individual's values, their identity revolves around. Yeah. You know, mine is teaching. I, 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 my highest value is teaching. My identity is revolved around that. I'm a teacher. 
But somebody's values may be raising a beautiful uh, family of children and they would be called a mother. And some may be researchers and some may be chemists and some may be astronauts. Everybody's needed. Some may be leaders of armies, you know, and generals. Everybody's needed. The world needs everything in order to make it work. And one set of values may be complete complementary opposite to somebody else. What one's dedicated, the other one is interested in destroying. And that's part of the perfection. Because just like in our body, we need build and destroy, you know, and anabolism and catabolism to make up metabolism. Society must have these complementary opposites to make it work. Because that's what gives you support and challenge in your life, which maximally is shown to grow. We need both prey and predator in a food chain. We need both support and challenge to maximize our growth in life. So, yeah, being honorable enough to have the courage to be yourself according to your own highest values and not conform and subordinate to the herd's expectations of some universal value system that they're just traditionally following without thinking and parroting mm-hmm. and giving yourself permission to be an unborrowed visionary with your own set of values is very profound. Yeah. Wow. Thank, thanks for that, Jen. But uh, within that context, then, is there a hierarchy of, of, of needs and how you get to realize your values? So, for example, uh, you've, you've probably uh, started this uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which says, you know, as people, we need food and shelter first. So if my value, for example, is uh, singing, for example, and I can sing all, all, all day long, but if I haven't got food or shelter, then it doesn't serve me uh, in, in any way. So that's why I guess people will pursue and see other people who are successful across. Maybe they're making money and all of that and they follow to do something which is not uh, in line with their values, but because they have to eat, they have to make money. So how would you say about that? Is there something that you have to do first, maybe to to have food and shelter before you can move on to do things that are congruent to your values? Yes, Um, Derek Denton, who I had the opportunity from the Philly Institute in Melbourne, Australia, I had the opportunity to have spent time with, Hmm. wrote a book called The Dawn of Consciousness and Hmm. showed that obviously oxygen, and then water, yeah. and then food, and then shelter, and then reproduction. There's a there's a series of needs that is survival. Mm-hmm. And then there's yeah. security, protecting that. And then there's socialization, interacting with other people. And then there's self-esteem, you know, showing what you've got and you're, you're now getting more secure. And, and then finally, self-other actualization. There is a stage of that. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is whatever is highest on your value, if you don't have food, that will be highest on your value at that moment. And then if you if you have that, now you've got food and now you're building shelter, then that will be highest on your value. If you don't have a, a, a relationship, you'll be looking for a relationship. If you don't have a, a, a business, you'll be looking for a business. So it's automatically structured in survival to thrival pathway. Mm-hmm. And each time you make a step into priority and fill your day with the highest priority actions, that allow you to fulfill what's most meaningful and important in that moment. You maximize the journey and increase the probability of growing your self-worth and also increase the probability of knowing and having confidence that you can solve problems because you're walking your talk and your confidence in what you achieve. And you're more likely to solve other people's problems and be compensated for it in time. So that is the pathway. But some people envy other people, imitate other people, step outside where they are get smacked back down to where they are to make sure that they're living by true priorities, not somebody else's. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thanks, John. Thank you. Now, uh, I've heard you in uh, um, in some of your talks. You talk about uh, uh, mental illness and probably learning disabilities. And uh, essentially, in the modern day of uh, medicine and all of that, they get to treat mental illness with medicine and all of that. But you've got a, a different view on the causes and actually how to treat things like mental illness. Can you just walk us through, um, you know, your, your way of thinking on mental the pharmaceutical and medical model is based on chemistry they're yeah. reductionistic mm -hmm. and they reduce the brain down into you know lobes of the brain and then from lobes into segments of the brain and low side of the brain each low side into connectomes of various connections of nerves and pathways and eventually down to nerves and eventually down to the you know cytoplasmic components of the nerves the in cytoarchitectural structure and then eventually down into molecules and eventually into the atoms and the electronics and they keep reducing it and they believe that they'll find and there's some validity to it that they'll find new insights about human behavior mm -hmm. but for hundreds of years they still haven't found the mind there <laughs> they're, they're still they, there's some people believe there is no mind it's just biochemistry and neurology yeah but at the same time, there's transcendental functions that are hard to explain. The, the subjective experiences of consciousness are still hard to explain by biochemistry. And so it, there's models there um, that, that have you know, weaknesses, let's put it that way. Mm. So studying that, I've been fascinated by the mind or the brain. I, I taught neurology 43 years ago. Um, and taught neurology and neurochemistry and neural pathways and neuropathology and stuff. I've been fascinated by that, written a tremendous amount on that. But I'm just not satisfied with the idea that it's always a pharmaceutical solution. Because the reason I did that, I remember reading a book called Hormones in the Brain and studying how uh, an individual with different ratios of different transmitters, signal molecules, modulators, regulators in the brain how it affected behavior. And then I realized that if we change the behavior, we also change the chemistry. It worked both ways. And then we realized that the behavior was based on perceptions. So if I change the ratios of perceptions, I change neurochemistry. For instance, let's say you're in a room and all of a sudden your door opens and a 14 foot tiger comes running towards you and reaches and, and leaps in the air with a, its fangs salivating and about to eat you. If I had a men in black pen and I just stopped it right when it's about to put its head on you, its, its jaws on you, and then did your neurochemistry, your cortisol, your osteocalcin, your norepinephrine would be out the roof. Substance P would be up, uh, you know, dopamine would be down. A lot of chemistries would be skewed in that split second within 200 milliseconds of that perception. And then you go, well, you know, he's got a biochemical imbalance. No, he's got a perception of a tiger about to eat him and his chemistry is doing its job. <laughs> but what happens now, let's say we have an event in life. And by the way, if that, that tiger turned out to be Tony Tiger yeah. and he puts his arms around you and says, I'm Tony Tiger, you're great. Yeah. <laughs> and you, all your life you want to meet Tony Tiger and all of a sudden your chemistry swaps and you get dopamine and serotonin, and oxytocin for hugging him and bonding with him. Your hero's there. Then you made your, your chemistry's change in 200 milliseconds. Yeah. But what happens is if we have an event occur that we're highly infatuated with or highly resentful to, and then never balance it and return our chemistry to homeostatically, and we store that as an emotion, it skews our chemistry. 
And we then want to blame the biochemistry as the cause, but it's actually correlative, not causal necessarily. And I'd rather go in there and give people their power back than having to depend on a medication if possible, since none of them, not all the psychiatric medications are as effective as we'd like. I'd like to go in there and show them how to ask new set of questions, be conscious of what information that was unconscious, become fully conscious of what's there, center their own perceptions and change their chemistries and stabilize their emotions. And mm -hmm. I'm absolutely certain it works because I've been doing it on hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and a lot of people are not taking medications yeah. now. And they did when they started. Mm. I, I, I guess the, the, the trick or the, the thing is in being able to create that event that will change your um, you know, chemical makeup in, in the body, I guess, isn't it? Well, every, every time you change your perceptions, you're changing your chemistry. Yeah, I can. If I if I started telling you about how great you are and how amazing you are and everything else, your serotonin's going up because your pride's going up. Mm. If I start cutting you down, your serotonin would go down. Yeah, did, and your oxytocin would go down because you wouldn't trust me anymore. And you would these chemistries are every one of those neurotransmitters that we're finding in neuroregulators. We can change their ratios by asking mm. questions and make you cognizant of things you weren't thinking of yeah. and changing. Wow. That's my specialty. That's what I love helping people yeah. do in their power back. Wow. And, and I guess is, is that the reason why people would go to some, let's say, motivation events and because of the buzz and the perception, feel quite on a high that, you know, they can do anything. And then over time, once that uh, subsides, they, they find that they are, you know, not as motivated or, or as, well, as excited. Motivation is an extrinsic thing that most of the time with rhetorical persuasion leads people into fantasies that aren't really congruent with what they value. Hmm. And that's why it's short-lived. It sets up a fantasy and then eventually the reality hits and it falls into a crash. I'm not interested in motivation. I'm not a motivational speaker. I think that's a, a symptom, not a solution for humanity. Yeah. A solution for humanity is finding out what is intrinsically valuable to the individual and giving them the feedback from that to structure their life by priority and start filling their day with high priority actions, which activate the blood glucose and oxygen into the forebrain where the medial prefrontal cortex, the executive center can govern the impulses and instincts that normally distract us from doing great things. And at any time we're fulfilling our highest values, we're not unfulfilled and therefore looking for immediate gratification through immediate gratifying consuming things or drugs or alcohol or whatever to compensate. So a fulfilled life doesn't need to be filled full with food and candy and sweets and drugs. It's fulfilled. And so I'm a firm believer of prioritizing life. That's a very important thing to, to have people ask what is truly, determine what's really valuable and structure their life according to priorities and live by priority. Every time you live by the highest value, you raise your self-worth, your confidence, you expand your space and time horizons, you give yourself permission to to achieve more, you walk your talk, your confidence emerges, your 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 self-worth goes up and your leadership capacities emerge. So yeah. it's to our advantage to, to stick to priorities in life. Yeah. And uh, how, how does the influence of people that uh, people see as, as uh, you know, maybe influential people or people who can actually direct them or, or, or teach them something that they can actually help them to achieve something. Could be, I mean, you see this a lot in uh, like religious circles or in some uh, situations will be mentors. And uh, people will actually look up to those people and uh, uh, maybe 
uh, right or wrongly believe that they can they have something that can help them either become a better version of themselves is there a role that these mentors or, or people with influence play in directing people's uh, uh, you know, a direction of, of where they can take their life into? It, it can be. It depends. Mm. Uh, many times you'll go for a mentor because you admire them. And if yeah. the mentor's objectives and, and values are close enough to yours where you can live by what they're advising, then it works great. Yeah. But mm. if for some reason you look up to somebody and they're not really in line with your values, you're going to end up having an internal conflict and trying to subordinate to their expectations and, and what they recommend. Now, what I usually tell people to do is take the individuals that you admire most, identify what specific trait, action, or inaction they're displaying or demonstrating that you admire most, and then go look inside yourself for where you're already displaying them in your own values. And then when you realize that it, nothing's missing in you, it's already there, but you're not looking at it. You're, you're trying to compare your form of it with their form of it, and thinking it's missing, it's like a cat expecting to swim like a fish or a fish expecting to climb a tree like a cat. The, the, the fish is perfectly capable of doing excellent work in swimming, but not climbing. So you got to make sure that there's enough alignment if you're going to put somebody as a mentor. Um, otherwise, you're going to beat yourself up trying to live up to their value system. Mm -hmm. So just make sure that there's some congruency and make sure that what they're leading you to is sound. Because, you know, there's, it's as direct, the Nobel Prize winner said, it's not that we don't know so much. We know so much that isn't so. And there's lots of mentors that are fervent about their conviction, but not necessarily leading down a path of wisdom. Mm. Wow. And uh, how, how can we sort of get ourselves out of uh, setbacks? Like, uh, you know, life shocks that happen. It could be like a, a death or people lose a job or something. And people can actually, you know, go down with that you know how, how can we change our perception? it's only a setback it's only a setback when you choose to see it that way yeah. you know when you have control of your perceptions decisions and actions so if you take a perception and you see it as a setback you're going to then decide and respond and act accordingly but if you ask how specifically is whatever's happened the current reality whatever's happened mm -hmm. how is it helping me fulfill what's most meaningful to me my highest value, what inspires me, my mission in life, my purpose in life. How is it helping me? How? No, I didn't ask how it's in the way. How is it helping me? Yeah. Is it restructuring me? Is it making me come up with a more efficient pathway? Is it making me go through and ask for help? Is it making me go back and do harder studies on things? When you go and study people that excel, Michael Phelps, the swimmer, for instance, gold medalist, or Curtis, this gentleman who's going for the, the fastest man on, on, the, on his legs, the fastest runner in the world. You find out that they don't see anything but feedback. They don't see failure. They see feedback. They don't see setback. They see feedback to come back. So you, you, it's about how you ask what's happening here. If you say, well, why is this happening to me? Why is it a screwing, screwing me up? You're not going to get anywhere. You become victim of history, not master of destiny. Mm -hmm. But if you ask how specifically is what's happening right now, how does it help me move forward and accomplish yeah. what I dream about? Well, I was told I would never read, write, or communicate, never amount a thing, never go very far in life in first grade. Yeah. Well, I later learned how to read voluminously, 30,500 and something books now. Mm. I've traveled over 20 million miles. I've become financially independent many times over. I've uh, influenced people around the world. The very thing I was told I would never do yeah. is the thing I get to do today. So setbacks 
uh, are not setbacks. They're they're basically seeds for comebacks. Yeah, and I, I, I guess sometimes it's just difficult when you're in the moment to actually see what are the upsides. But that's because you're choosing to perceive only that that setback. Yeah. If you allow, if you're infatuated with somebody and distracted by an infatuation, a hot chick or whatever, you know, you get infatuated. That's your choice. You chose to not look at the downsides and level that field. And if you're mm -hmm. if you're sitting there resenting about what's happened, it's your choice. You haven't looked at the upsides. Yeah. If you go and balance it out, you're back in command. If you're imbalanced, whatever you infatuate with, whatever you resent, whatever you attract or repel from, occupies space and time in your mind and runs you. You're extrinsically mm -hmm. run. And, and people are victims of history that way. They don't empower their lives by doing that. The extract meaning out of our existence is taking and find the mean and center yourself again out of whatever's happening so perturbations from the external world don't interfere with an intrinsic dream. Yeah. Wow. So if I um, sort of uh, just give you like a live example, in a way, just a random example, like, uh, you know, I um, um, wrote, wrote this book, which I, I was about to launch. And, you know, there was a build up and the marketing and everything. And then come launch day, all the um, um, Amazon stuff and everything didn't work. And the launch actually failed. It didn't, it didn't happen. So in that moment, it's like everything, you know, has fallen apart. No, okay. what happened, Alex, is you exaggerated how that book was going to do in your mind without the strategies to get that outcome. Yeah. I think almost every book author find, you know, goes to that. Yeah. I have a book that's been out for 23 years, 24 years now. Mm -hmm. It's now in 39 languages. Yeah. But I think I sold maybe 25,000 copies the first five years. Didn't do all that well. Yeah. And then, then all of a sudden it started picking up in different cities and states as I went around and then around different countries as I was speaking. Mm -hmm. and, that, and then it recently became number one in Lithuania and, and also in, uh, in Turkey. It came big in Spain, Latin America. Don't even think if it, if it doesn't take off. I've had books not sell but a few hundred copies at yeah. first. Some of the greatest classics only sold the first few. It's, it's, it's yeah. testing whether you're committed to getting your message out there and never giving up. That's all. Wow. I, I, when I launched a book one time, it was so funny. I launched a book and I hired a publicist to make sure I went across all the major cities. Mm -hmm. And I went into television arts and I went across 48 states with television. I did yeah. all that stuff on there. And the publisher didn't have the book on time. So I was going in and supposedly signing a book that wasn't even in the bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on a book that wasn't in the store yet. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You want, to, you want to choke people sometimes because you're not seeing how it's on the way. But what yeah. it is is a great story that inspires people later. Yeah. The book does get out there. Yeah. Book sells and then and, – and, it's a matter of how committed you are in the long term, not about a short-term gratification. Short -term, yeah, but I, I guess sometimes you get to realize to have that knowledge later, way after the moment has passed, when you've gathered more wisdom and you, you've understood. <laughs> well, that's a false, false attribution bias, as we say. We yeah. stop and look at how many people think about writing a book, millions. How many yeah. actually get down to start writing the book? Hundreds of thousands. How many actually finish the book? Thousands. How many actually then publish it? Hundreds. How many actually get the book out there where it sells? Yeah. Ten people. Yeah. That's the reality. So if you yeah. got a book published, Alex, yeah. that's a great success. Wow, great. That's, Thank you. that's a success. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, John. So now, um, 
just uh, moving into uh, actually maybe before we move into the uh, the financial empowerment part uh, you talk about um, um, everything being neutral I guess it's linked to what we've talked about before so just just uh, expand a bit of that because essentially you're saying whatever happens if you look at the upsides and the downsides in the end everything is just neutral it's just balanced well we nobody knows nobody ever knows all the consequences of any human action yeah do you really know of whatever you've done, how many people have been impacted positively or negatively about it? Nobody knows. Mm -hmm. What we have is a probabilistic, stochastic interpretation of what's possible. And it comes out 50-50. you got an idea. You, I, I can be really dedicated to my mission of teaching, right? And mm -hmm. be perseverant in things. And anybody that has similar values to me will look at me and go, he's dedicated, he's perseverant, he's, he's focused, you know, he's disciplined, he's reliable to get that work done and teach and everything else. But you have somebody that has a different value system that thinks about kids and social causes and maybe going to church and things like that. They'll look at me and go, he's pigheaded, he's stubborn, he's inconsistent, he won't do what we think is important. Both of them are true about me. And they'll, they'll see what I did positively and negatively. I can't let people's support or challenge, gullibility or skepticism stop me from my mission. I just keep persevering. I chop wood and I carry water and I keep going. And so, you, you, you can't say that anything is positive or negative until somebody with a value system in a context with a narrow mind labels it and limits it to that context. Now you can label it under that context. But ultimately, think about the things you thought were terrible in your life, in your life. And then days, weeks, months, years later, you went back and God, thank God that occurred. I, mean, I almost died at 17, right? I was literally unconscious in a tent. I'd vomited, urinated and defecated in a tent. A lady found me in my tent. Okay, she took me to a health food store, tried to get some fluids in me, yeah. led me to a little store. If I hadn't have died, I wouldn't have met Paul Bragg and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. There's no yeah. doubt about it. We, we can always look back and we can see, well, that's, you know, I've screwed up because of that event. Or you can look back and go, that's a turning point in my life. It's all yeah. perception. It has nothing to do with what's out there. It's your perception of it. Yeah. That's why William James said the greatest discovery of his generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their perceptions and attitudes of mind. So I'm not going to label something good or bad. Uh, you can make a heaven out of a hell or a hell out of a heaven. And I always say there's in the mystery of the, the overall universe, we really don't know. It's an artificial thing that humans have made up. And around the world, as Montaigne and, and many of others have described and McIntyre, nobody has a universally ascended value system of morals. Whatever you think is good, somebody else doesn't think so. In, in South Africa, the, the president had nine wives. Azuma had nine wives. In America, you're put in prison for it. There you're honored as the president. Over here, you're in prison. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, yeah. I, 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 it, it depends on what you think. At one time, royalty had incest. That was normal. You had kept the royal line. Now yeah. you go to jail for it. So they were smoking once was the coolest thing in the world at one time. Now people are thinking you're going to get to smoke. So you have to be careful about universally ascended value systems. Better to look at things and use it to your resource instead of getting trapped and boxing it in with a polarity. Yeah. So essentially, there's no right or wrong. But then what's the role of morality in society? Or is there such thing as morality? Well, it, whoever has the power sets the rules. <laughs> <laughs> the morality, remember, morality at one time in Catholicism was you're not supposed to eat meat on Friday. And anybody that did, they went to, to hell. Well, yeah. now all the people that, now it's okay. 
Now they changed the rules. So I, all those people that ate meat for prior to 1950s, they're all down in the underground. And uh, right, all the people after that, they're fine. So those can change. So whoever's ruling the game, whoever has the power gets to set the rules. Values and moralities always come from those who have the most power to those that have the least power. Ones designed by the by the powerful and ones that are dutied by the unpowerful. And it's all a matter of whether you want to play. If you were on it and empower yourself, you can change the rules. Yeah. You wow. can change so, the rules. I mean, look at look at at one time homosexuality was quiet. Yeah. Now people it's it's yeah. it's the thing and transgender is becoming average. So <laughs> you, you find out the things that you once condemned, you find out there's a deeper meaning behind it. So I, I'd rather not jump to the conclusion of something. I'd rather see it as neither good nor evil. Uh, and it's and it's my own limited view to make it good or evil. Good or evil. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for that, John. Now, just uh, uh, getting into the sort oh, of... Oh, wait, 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 Alex. Alex, if I videotape you 24 yeah. hours a day for a one-year period mm-hmm. and then edited it, I could make a hero or a villain, a saint or a sinner. I could make virtue or vice out of my edits, couldn't I? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm not a nice person. I'm not a mean mm-hmm. person. I'm not kind. I'm not cruel. I'm all the above. Yeah. I'm a human being with every trait. I've, I've gone through 4,628 traits in the Oxford Dictionary. I found out I had every one of them. Mm. <laughs> I'm honest. I'm dishonest at the time. I'm kind. I'm cruel. So whatever you say about me, in some context, it's been true. Yeah. yeah. It's just that I, I guess we tend to display some qualities more than others at different times. No, no, no. We hide those with repression until somebody pushes our button and out comes that expression. Yeah, I see. I guess that that's why you'll find some people who people see as uh, quiet or they never get angry. And at some point, it's just a big explosion. Then they explode three months worth of explosion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I, all the heroes have a villain inside. All the villains have a hero inside. Nietzsche mm. said that um, I'm the most violent, I'm most virtuous. And, mm. um, you know, and, and Machiavelli said, I, I, I have to play both sides. What do you think a president has to do? He can't be one-sided. He has to be both-sided. Yeah. Because the, the spectrum of values across the world are complementary opposite. And there's mm. a law that governs them called the law of heuristic escalation. And whenever yeah. somebody goes and promotes something of one side, people with the opposite side comes in to, to challenge yeah. it. That's, that's the, the game of life. That's what makes us grow. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. we take ourselves to, we get proud of thinking we're somebody only to get humbled. I, I, I take no credit, take no blame, just keep focused on the chief aim. And the chief aim and the name of the game is thank you. I love you. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, Jen. Now, um, talking about our financial empowerment, actually, uh, I, I, guess, I guess this is probably linked to the seven areas of life, and this is one of them. So what do you think is um, the things that uh, the world's richest people, people who succeed in uh, uh, making themselves financially independent, what is it that they know that others don't? Well, my observation, when I'm in front of thousands of people and ask how many want to be financially independent, everybody's hands go up, every feet go up, elbows, knees, noses go up. Everybody wants to be financially independent, they think. Mm. But I found it's only in less than 1%. Why? Most people think that financial independence is living a lifestyle of the rich and famous. And it's about consuming and buying and having yachts and cars and stuff. Mm. And that's actually not financial independence. That's Vanity and, in a sense, dependency. And that's basically being trapped by cost. Very few people actually have a value on wealth building and actually think long term and buy assets that work for them and put their money into things that actually 
provide money back to them with a return on investment instead of cost. And most people buy immediate gratifying consumables that depreciate in value. You know, as you buy clothes and fill up a, a, a house in a closet, that closet is going down in value. <laughs> it's just full of stuff that goes down in value over time. But if you if that's your whole life and you're living beyond your means and not thinking about prioritizing what you're buying and buying things that go up in value, people that really value wealth building buy things that go up in value until a small portion of all the assets they accumulate can give them a lifestyle that escalates over time. And they crescendo as they go through life, not decrescendo. Most people that live over their means will end up having a declining life as they get older, not an inclining life. And that's because they had immediate gratification and they bought things that went down in values. And that's a reflection of your own image of yourself. If you value yourself and you value serving people and you value what wealth represents, you're going to want to put your money into prioritized things that go up in value so it works for you, so that you're its master, not its slave. Hmm. Wow. Okay. And then how, how can we dissolve these sort of unconscious blocks to understand that we need to pursue activities that are in line with our values, you know, to have the, the discipline and avoid all the distractions and all those? Well, first, finding out what your values are is crucial. On my website, drdmartina.com, there's a complimentary value determination process. They're free. It's private. It takes 30 minutes of your time. It's a gold mine to do. Take the time to do it if you're listening because it's yeah. worth doing. And then once you look at it, you kind of go, you know what? No wonder I'm not financially independent. I don't even have wealth building in my highest five, four values. My ex observation, I've taken value determination on thousands of people. And I'm certain that if it's not in the top four, financial independence isn't going to occur because you're not, you're going to keep buying things that you value. Your hierarchy of values dictates how you spend your money. And if you have a higher value on traveling than you do on investing, you're going to take money when you get it and you're going to go travel. If you have better value on buying clothes than investing, you're going to go buy clothes. Whatever you have that's higher on your list is where your money's going to go. Whatever's lower on your list, you're not going to have money for. Mm -hmm. So your hierarchy of values dictates your financial destiny. So mm -hmm. finding out what your values are first and where wealth building is in there is the first wake eye, eye, eye awakening. You go, whoa, no wonder I'm where I'm at financially. Yeah. And then you either have to go and raise the value of wealth building, or otherwise it's not going to happen, and, raise, and lower the shame factor. A lot of people feel guilty and shameful over actions when they're not living up to the ideals of society trying to conform, and it self-depreciates them, and that automatically puts them in an altruistic thing that makes them feel bad, self-depreciative, and then they go buy other people's brands to feel better about themselves, but it's only transient at best, and they get further into debt, and then they get feeling even more down, and then they go buy again, and it gets caught in an amygdala cycle of spending instead of investing. You want to invest your money into something that serves ever greater numbers of people in quality managed companies that actually make a difference in the world. And you'll be rewarded with those shares with interest compounded over time and mm -hmm. dividends if you leave it there and just allow it to serve people. I started doing that 40 years ago. I'm very financially well off because of that dynamic today. Yeah. And I learned to just take a portion of what I have, live beneath my means and put it away. And now my money's making way, way more money than I do working, way more money. So now I get to do what I love doing without having to do it. And that's yeah. what I call financial freedom. Financial freedom. So essentially uh, success and financial freedom can be predicted. Oh, it's, I, we can actually, if we structure it, I've, I've taken many of my students and structured their finances 
automated their savings and investments, automated how they're doing it, and then they go focus on serving people and generating the business. That's it. Focus on caring about people yeah. and let the thing be structured. And once it's structured, you have a tremendous amount of predictability you can add to finances. It's mm. not rocket science. It's not that hard even. It's yeah. just structuring it. And once you do, and being patient, it just compounds. Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, as Einstein said. It's one of the most magnificent things that just gets skyrocketing over time. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Great. Now, um, talk us through the, the, the seven areas of, of life, because obviously, uh, and, and how... Is there one that's more important than than than, uh, than the other, or how you should uh, actually work on which ones first until you? There's no should. Oh, man, all There's of no should. Yeah. No should is subordinating to somebody else's value system. I don't yeah. live with shoulds. I don't live with shoulds, ought to, supposed to, got tos, have tos, must, need tos. I live by what is it I would love to do? How do I delegate everything else and live an inspired life? Mm. So each of us have a unique set of values. Some of us are dedicated to inspired spiritual pathways, whatever that may be. Some are dedicated to mental academic uh, pursuits. Some are de developing businesses. Some are wealth builders. Some are family uh, creators. Some are social political leaders and social impactors and musicians and things. Some are physical fitness and, and uh, health and Olympic medalist oriented. None of them are right. None of them are wrong. But whatever's true to that individual, that's their, that's their path. That's their mission in life. But, you know, if learning the art of communicating what's inspiring to you in terms of what's inspiring to them is what opens the doorway to be remunerated, filling their values with yours. That's the key and having equity on that. Putting people on pedestals or putting in people in pits isn't the solution. Putting mm -hmm. them in your arts and having respectful, sustainable, fair exchange with them is what builds wealth and builds fulfillment. Yeah. And, but then is, is it enough if you look across the seven areas of life, if your values are aligned to only one of those, is it enough to just pursue that one and ignore the other six? Or well, how do you balance? When you're pursuing what's really, really important to you, that doesn't mean you have to do it at the exclusion of everything else. When I'm traveling and teaching, I teach, I do seminars. In there, I'm doing my social life. In there, I'm doing my business. In there, I'm making my income. In there, I'm inspiring people. In there, I'm using mine to stimulate my intellectual. In some respects, it's like family extensions. It's I'm, I'm learning and interacting, and it's helping in my family dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's social, and it's something I love doing, which is helping my health. If you see how all areas are being impacted by what you feel is most important, nothing's not happening. It's all happening. It's all happening, yeah, including the spiritual and everything. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. spirituality, don't, don't subordinate to some religious dogma and institutional structure. That's not what spirituality is. That's just one form of it. Yeah. You know, I have a friend that, that's an, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a guy called a, an adventurer, you might say, adventurist. He climbed Mount Everest four times to the peak. He's climbed the seven peaks in the world twice each. Mm -hmm. He's walked and hiked to the North and South Pole, and he swam the Amazon River. Mm. Okay? This is an adventurist. Yeah. Wow. He's also lived in a, in a community in the Amazon jungle or whatever with people that's never been found, never been seen hardly. Yeah. So he's gone out, and he asks himself, what is my biggest fear, and how do I conquer it now? And he goes on, and that's his spiritual quest, conquering mm -hmm. his own fears. That's what his, he calls his spiritual quest. He doesn't subordinate to some anthropomorphic deity that's supposed to protect him in the afterlife. He doesn't sit there and go and, and, and prostrate himself down in front of some cubicle building or whatever. 
Those are those are different forms of spirituality. Mm. It is spirituality. Mine's teaching. You got to give yourself permission. If you're if you're running gold medals and you want to be the fastest man in the world and you want to inspire millions of children to do running, that may be your spiritual path. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And then uh, what about, uh, you know, the history of um, religion and everything else that that came to be? Because that also has in, in the in the sense of influencing people and direction of people, even to the extent of altering their mind and directing them in a particular way, like cults, for example. Yes. Well, I, I, I uh, was in a movie called Oh My God, and Peter mm -hmm. Rogers produced this movie. And they interviewed a lot of different people, from people from the Al-Qaeda to celebrities to you name it. Ringo Starr, Hugh Jackman, myself, Ring, uh, uh, Baz Luhrmann, all kind of interesting people. And, and religious leaders from around the world in 33 different types of religions. And I wrote in, in one of the books that they turned the movie into uh, on the anthropological development of religious thought. Mm -hmm. And one thing I'm certain about is that religions emerged in the brain as we've developed the brain from the amygdala and subcortical areas of the brain, where we avoid pain and seek pleasure, and we avoid hell and seek heaven kind of models, to eventually a more abstract mathematical understanding of the laws of nature, the laws of the universe that's personified as some sort of an intelligence in the universe that's guiding the, the universe itself, to eventually an abstract and personal structure. There's stages of it goes from sort of a shamanistic, animistic stage to uh, a mythological phase, to a metaphysical phase, to eventually a theological phase, and eventually kind of an abstract, concrete, objective phase, just mm -hmm. as our brain is developing. And all of them are stages of development that we pass through, but none of them are the final end. Mm -hmm. You know what I always say? That the, the, the divine is not some anthropomorphic deity made up in a human mind to protect them from their fears. And it doesn't happen to have a location or what color or race or creed it may be. The divine yeah. doesn't have a limitation, and it's not a Buddhist or a Christian or an Islam. It, none of those are the box. It's mm. just those are all phase and pieces of the puzzle. But by no means is that the whole picture. Because yeah. that most of that, most of Aristotelian teachings in his geocentric universe and Ptolemy had an influence on the three major religions, and five billion people follow that. But that's Ever since the Copernican Revolution, the, the vista of the universe has expanded out to the galaxy and now out to super galaxy clusters and now into a vast ocean of, of the universe. We have to keep current and live in holy curiosity and not get trapped on stages of development. Wow. Think about it. When you were in, when you were in, in, in elementary school, when you, you, you uh, looked in your science class, you saw a little ball, hydrogen, up to uranium, a progressively larger atom picture. Yeah. Yeah. And then you put these little plastic uh, models of, of uh, with sticks, and you put these little models together. And you thought, my God, an atom is a little ball. And then you start out, and you go to high school, and you find out, oh, the Bohr model. It's got electrons going around, a proton, a neutron, and it's like a little solar system. But it's sort mm -hmm. of like shells, like kind of a ball. And you're taught a little bit more abstract idea. Then you go to college, and you find out, wait a minute now. It's <laughs> quantum numbers. It's yeah. probability distributions. And it's not even actually a real electron there. It's a point charge. It has no space or time occupation. And so it's just a probability. It's a mathematical game. And mm -hmm. then you go on to professor and become a doctor and professor in physics. And you go, well, there's flaws in the model. It's got, it's a useful model, but it's got some flaws in it. We really yeah. don't know what it is. And it's like a surging web of interpenetrating fields in a quantum field. And then it goes all the way to abstraction. We don't know. 
So we had to be taught the illusion in elementary school until we're ready for the truth. And the same thing in religion. We have yeah. to be taught the illusions until we're ready for the truth. Yeah. And the divine can't be put in, in a box. Mm -hmm. A man wants to do that so he can relate to it. That's all. Yeah. Wow. So I, I guess, do you, do you think there's still a telos out there that we don't know about? Is there something that we could still discover even around the mind, around the uh, you know values and everything else? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I have been blessed for 48 years teaching mm. everything else, and I've run across some really bright people along the way mm. in different fields, in anthropology and chemistry and mathematics and exobiology and, and space and astronomy. And, and whenever I meet these amazing people that are at the cutting edge of their field, I ask them, whenever you're finding cutting edge information, send it my way. So I'm getting information daily coming in from some of the great minds. Yeah. And I read it and try to just keep current in my own capacity and try to have more of a polymathic approach. Otherwise, I'm over-specialized and not adaptable. Mm -hmm. And in the process of doing it, we're constantly breaking barriers. The four-minute mile has been broken. Well, the so mm -hmm. in every field. We just push back human beings. The Homo erectus, 200,000 years recently. We push back Homo sapiens now, another 50,000 years recently. We, we're finding that we're... We're much older than we thought. We've been around. There's more civilizations than we imagined. It's constantly evolving. And religions we're finding are also, without a doubt, there's a syncretic development of layer upon layer of sediments of religious understanding sitting on top of older constructs that have become more integrated as they go on, from polymorphic to, to now mono, monotheistic kind of ideas. There's an evolution there. When you understand it and you study it, you understand it and you realize that we're we're here to live in holy curiosity. We're here to yeah. continue to ask questions because whatever we know, there's always going to be an unknown beyond it. So if we stagnate that growth and now go, well, that's it, we automatically stagnated our evolution. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank, thanks, John. Now, our, our grandchildren, think about yeah. it. Our great grandchildren yeah. are going to be traveling to Mars. Yeah. Wow. They're going to, yes. they're going to say, Mom, I want to go out for the night. Uh -huh. And um, I'll, I'm, I'll, well, you got to be home by by twelve o'clock. Twelve o'clock on what what planet? <laughs> and then they sneak over because there's a party on Mars, and yeah. they sneak over to Mars, and they go. And what we'll do is we'll do a time warp and a gravitational lensing process, and we'll distort and confuse our parents and try to lie to them, and yeah. we'll actually go and and have a party on another planet someday. Yeah. And we we'll laugh at that now, but two hundred years from now. We can't even imagine the technology, what we'd be doing. It's hard yeah. to even comprehend. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you've only got to look at where we are now compared to where we were 100 years ago. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, where it was Flash yeah. Gordon was science fiction. Now Flash Gordon is nothing. Yeah. We're way ahead of Flash Gordon now. Mm. Wow. I, I guess is that the role of uh, those visionaries who can see beyond what we see? Because in, in mo most cases, those visionaries, when they say things now, which look absolutely ridiculous, but uh, uh, to some extent, 400 years or whatever years later, when people see what those thoughts were, they, they begin to say, ah, yes, maybe so-and-so was right, but that was 400 years ago, and so on and so forth. Well, Giordano Bruno... Uh, was a theologian and mystic and philosopher and astronomer and mathematician at the time of 600, right at the year 1600, I mean. Mm. And uh, they, he basically started reading the text that the church didn't want people to read. 
And he started discovering Aristarchus's and Philolalus' work and the Pythagoreans and, and some of Anaximander's work on cosmology and, you know, the thinking of astronomy at the time. And he basically said, we live in an infinite universe with infinite worlds, with infinite beings, and that someday we will discover this. Well, they burn him at the stake. They put him in prison for years and then they burn him at the stake. And then 400 years later, they honored him as a genius 400 years ahead of his time. Wow. <laughs> because what he turned out was we now know there's over 5,000 planets we've identified. And we know that it's very probable that life is going to be found on some of these. Yeah. And we know that there's water on some of these. And there's habitats that exobiology and extremophilic organisms could live on. So we know that it's very probable it's just a matter of time. Yeah, it's not it's not a matter of if we're going to discover it. It's a matter of when we're going to discover when, it. Yeah. And when we do, we're going to realize something that the word Catholic in Catholic Church meant universal. And they wanted mm -hmm. control over a geocentric world. And they thought that was the center of the whole universe at the time. Yeah. Now the Earth is an infinitesimal. It's an insignificant little planet mm -hmm. compared to the vastness of what we know about the universe. Yeah. So we have to be able to not get constrained by by. You might say that megalomania construct and give ourselves permission to continue to explore and humble ourselves before the vastness of what's yeah. capable of learning in our minds. Yeah, which is vast. There's just a lot. Yeah. Of it there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it. Einstein said it really nicely. It's enough for me on a daily basis to sit in awe and, and sit in the mysteries and penetrate some new additional mystery on a daily basis mm -hmm. and to understand the intelligence that he said believed it permeated the universe. He was a pan-psychic that believed that the, the divine wasn't some anthropomorphic deity sitting in a sky. It was an omnipresent governing force that gave rise to all the laws of the universe, which yeah. we're uncovering slowly but surely. Mm. Excellent. Well, Spinoza's God. Yeah. Spinoza's God was a, and Einstein's God was a different God than some of the Christians yeah. thought. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, uh, talk us through the breakthrough experience, John. What is it? And, uh, the Breakthrough Experience is my signature program. Yeah. I teach 80 different courses, but this one course is the most significant one. I've done it 1,120 times in 66 countries. Mm -hmm. And um, it's two days, 24 hours at least, uh, going down the rabbit hole and finding out how to take whatever's happened in your life and how to turn it into something extraordinary. Mm -hmm. How to master perceptions, decisions, and actions. How to get clear on what your values are. How to make sure that you own the traits of the great so you don't subordinate to people around you. Because if you see something great in somebody, it's because you have it. You're just too humble to admit it. Yeah. And giving yourself permission to stand on the shoulders of giants and shine, not shrink. Mm -hmm. So it's a very powerful two-day experience with a small workshop dedicated to helping people do something extraordinary with their life. That's it. I yeah. love it. I've been doing it, like I say, 1,120 times. Yeah. And, and what, what can people expect to, to get out of the breakthrough experience? It depends on what they're coming in with. Some people come in there because they want to take their their their, their business to another level, break through yeah. a plateau. Some mm -hmm. want to launch their, their singing career. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people want to break through an anxiety about marriage. Some are, are wanting to get pregnant, and they're, they're trying to figure out what the psychology, because there's no reason for them not getting pregnant, but they're just not getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. Some people want to make more money. I don't know what they're coming in with. It depends on what their objectives are. I yeah. just show them how to how to achieve things that they're having difficulty achieving and mm -hmm. how to get clear on what that is if they're not clear about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I guess uh, if people are procrastinating, procrastination, um, is that 
could be could it be because whatever it is that they want to get out is not high on their values that's it well yeah. anything that's low in our values we procrastinate hesitate and frustrate anything mm -hmm. that's high in our values we're disciplined reliable and focused when people set goals what they think is important but it's not actually important mm. that's what happens so if you have to be reminded or motivated or incentivized to take action on something it ain't important mm. i don't have to be reminded or motivated to 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 research teach and travel the world and teach i do it 48 years i've been doing it every single day seven days a week nobody has to motivate me to do that mm. but if i had to be motivated it might be in the area of cooking because i haven't cooked since i was 24. i haven't mm. even driven a car in 30 years I learned a long time ago, delegate everything but what you love doing and give other people jobs and help the economy and stick mm -hmm. to what your core competence and what inspires you most and become mm -hmm. great at that one thing, as Gary Keller says, mm -hmm. and liberate yourself from anything that depreciates who you are as a person and get on with doing the thing that you feel called to do in life. Mm -hmm. Me, that's not that hard to do. It sounds simple. It's not that hard to do, but people make it hard because they just haven't learned the tools. And that's what Breaks is about, teaching them those tools. Teaching those tools. And uh, I, I, guess, I guess for people in, in, in the sense that uh, everything is linked with their health, wealth, and you know, nutrition and everything, all those, those things are important in their personal, um, you know, the personal development and success and uh, you know, financial empowerment. Everything is linked, isn't it? Like for someone to be in, in good health and you know, live a good life. I, I ask myself, uh, whatever it is that I want to do, if I want to go and say, okay, I want to start jogging or whatever, I, I link it by asking how specifically is jogging going to help me fulfill my mission of teaching? Yeah. If I don't see the connection, I'm not going to jog. But if I see the connection and I see it on the way and I find out that some of the greatest teachers did that, I'm going to increase the probability of me going out and doing that. But I, I may not want to jog three times a week. I may want to jog for 15 minutes once a week. You've got to give yourself permission to create your life as you would love it. Mm. That's the key. Because yeah. some people want to think that they've got to do this and they've got to do this and it's all shoulds and supposed tos and got tos. There's no rules out there, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> except the rules you choose to abide by. Yes, and whoever yeah. you subordinate, those are the rules you think you have to live by. Yeah. But what if you gave yourself permission to be a leader? Think about this way: if you're if you're 12 years old or younger, you probably have your parents as your as your moralist. You know, yeah. do what we say, or otherwise, you know, going to get spanked or something. Mm. Okay, or punished or something. But then, when you get into elementary school, I mean, to, to junior high or high school, you don't always listen to your parents. You start yeah. letting peer pressure influence you. Mm. And then, when you get out of high school, you don't always listen to your parents. You start doing your own thing. Once you get a job, once you get your own apartment, you start thinking, well, I'll think about it, mom. Thank you. And then your boss may become your leader. And then you eventually go, you know what? I'm going to start my own business. And now I don't have to work for a boss. I don't have to subordinate to a teacher. I'm not having to always listen to my parents, although I may, if, I, if it matches what I'm wanting to do. And then all of a sudden you realize, you know what? I'm the leader of my thing. Now I've got a, a government of the city, the state, the nation, the world, and the industry that I'm subordinating to that's now my ruler. And then I decide, you know what, I'm going to open up a franchise and have a franchise all over the state. And now all of a sudden, the teacher wants me to come and speak at the school. And now the mayor wants to take pictures with me. And now all of a sudden, I start to go nationwide with my franchise and own up a thousand different stores. And now all of a sudden, the governor wants to meet me. And then I go international and I have a, a Microsoft company or something like that. Now the president wants to meet me. 
And then we find out the people, the Pope wants to meet me. And then the, the, the guy that's setting the rules, I have a conversation. I said, you might consider changing these rules here. I think these might be wiser rules. And then they go, well, this guy knows what he's doing or something like that. We'll go follow those rules. So if you rise in power, you set the rules. If you don't rise in power, you follow the rules. You can either follow a culture or you can build one. Yeah. Wow. But I, I guess your environment and your peer group also plays quite a big role in that, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, some people go uh, 20 years, 30 years, and then uh, they, they are successful. And then they start thinking, if I know, if I knew what I know now, 10 years ago, I could have accelerated my success, maybe achieved what I did in two years instead of 10 or 20, which it is. Yeah, but if you, if you ever go back and look back and regret what you did, that's foolish. What you do is, you know, I don't have any regrets looking back. I, I, there's not one thing that I did back there is a mistake. You only label things mistakes when you compare your actions to somebody else's values. Yeah. You have the, exactly the journey you need to do. Be grateful for the journey. And just if you know it now, now use that tool and learn what you learned and now use it. But don't yeah. sit there and regret. It's a waste of time putting regrets into the game. Yeah. Wow. Great. Thanks, Jess. So, where, uh, where can people find you and where can they uh, find the breakthrough experience? At the moment, I guess with the, the, the current times, you're not uh, doing physical uh, visits in cities anymore. It's all, is it all virtual? Well, right now we're doing online, but I, I have a feeling by the third quarter, fourth quarter, they'll probably be starting to do some live again. Yeah. It's opening up. Some mm -hmm. countries, it's already opening up. But, you know, I'll do both. You know, now we've got Zoom and we've got those programs and Clubhouse and all the different vehicles. Yeah. I, I, Look, I've, I've been doing radio, television, newspapers, magazines, books, movies. Anything yeah. that gets a message out, I'm fine with. And yeah. Zoom is great. And Live is great. So I'll yeah. do it all. I won't uh, stop. They can go to my website, drdmartini.com. Yeah. And, and go on there and look and do the value determination that's on there. Or go and look up where I'm on on events. Or just go and browse the, the media. There's thousands of articles and YouTube videos. There's, there's an education. Go to my podcast, my Dr. Demartini show. You yeah. can stay in there and be educated the rest of your, your existence there. It keep yeah. you busy forever. Good. So that's uh, uh, Dr. DiMartini. I was just going to show the banner. That's the one, yeah? Yep. DrDiMartini.com. Brilliant. So, uh, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, you've got a, you know, a, you know, it's a lot of golden nuggets, a lot of information. I'm sure I can spend the whole day speaking with you because, you know, like you say, teaching and uh, inspiring people is one of your uh, highest values. And uh, it, it's absolutely amazing to hear you speak. You know, like I say, uh, you know, I've, I've, I follow you. I hear a lot of uh, uh, your um uh, teachings and uh, you know I'll, I'll be I'm, I'm looking forward to getting on the uh, breakthrough experience with you as well so I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll meet again very soon but uh, it's been a, an uh, absolute pleasure uh, you joining us on the business world and mindset podcast and uh, I'm, I'm sure hopefully we'll get to catch up with you again uh, at some point but it's, it's it's really been an absolute pleasure and thanks for coming thank you for the interview and thank you for the time together we had some we had some fun yes anytime i can be of help on the, on your interview just let me know just yeah you know, do it and i look forward to meeting you uh you know in person at one yeah. definitely thanks for that john enjoy the rest of your day yeah thank okay. you thank you so bye. much yes bye. thanks bye